Good morning. Um, I want to acknowledge Mother's Day too. Um, for me, Mother's Day is uh, both awesome because I have four daughters who I love and, and we have a lot of fun together. And it's also something I don't look forward to because I lost my mom three years ago. And so I, I get the pain. So I know there's so many of you. I had women come up to me even after that first service who just said, I lost my mom, but, you know, 35 years ago, and it still hurts, and these days aren't fun for her. And so just helping her see, well, go and enjoy your kids and try to make it a great day for you. But I also think of those of you women who just love on kids. Maybe you didn't birth them. Um, but, but you have, grand, or um, not grandkids, but just nieces and nephews and kids of friends. And I have friends who don't have kids, and they love on my kids. And I consider you a mom. You do all the things that moms do. So I wish you a happy Mother's Day as well. I'm not trying to be politically correct. I really sincerely mean that. There's just so much that um, women bring to children, and, and I love it. So I celebrate you today as all women, because I know you love on kids no matter who they are. Um, and one of the things that I love um, that I think women bring to the table is some, some natural compassion. Um, I'm slightly stereotyping you um, and don't want to put that responsibility just on you because I think um, compassion, we're all called to have compassion, not just women, but men. And for some men, that's hard. You don't want to move into feeling anything. It's like, well, let's just get it done. Let me just fix it. As soon as you see something, your initial reaction is, well, let's fix it so there's no pain and let's move on and I don't want to feel it. But Christ calls us to have compassion. Um, this guy wrote a, a definition of compassion, and it says uh, it actually means to suffer with or to feel with. The opposite of compassion is apathy, like having no feelings. And the heart of God in Scripture is one that longs to suffer with his people. Uh, we don't really like to do that. We, that's not a natural feeling for us. It doesn't feel good sometimes to sit in and suffer with someone. The beautiful thing about the incarnation of Jesus on the cross is he doesn't take away evil. He doesn't take away any suffering, but he's willing to share in our pain. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, if he wasn't willing to do that, we might as well close the doors and not be here. But Christ had compassion on us, and he calls us to have compassion as well. And when I talk about suffering with or feeling it, it's not something that you can actually make yourself feel. You can't muster that up. It's actually where you see pain, you see someone in pain, and you enter into it. You go into that pain with them. I remember last week when uh, Audrey was up here talking about Vapor Sports Ministries. And down there, they're doing another site. And remember she shared, if you were here, she shared how uh, Christian, who's the gentleman down there running it, went to hire about 200, 250 people to actually by hand um, clear this field and prepare it as a soccer field, like dumping buckets of dirt. And he didn't just hire able-bodied men, he hired women and moms. And some of these moms, Audrey even told us later on, were brand new moms and just strapped those brand new babies on their back tied him on there, and we're there ready to work already. 
because they had two other kids trailing alongside of them that needed food. And they knew if they worked, they would get the money that day and they would be able to buy food for their family. Well, what you didn't know is that there's a thousand people that showed up. And she was sharing how Christian, who just has this most amazing heart, I just admire him and his wife. But what Christian had to do, if you can imagine, is turn away 700 people. And they have little kids attached to them who are all hoping they're going to eat that day. And so she shared how Christian just would take time out during that time and go behind this cement wall and just weep weep over not being able to provide food for everybody that showed up. That's compassion. That's entering into what is that person feeling. It's not just shutting the door and saying, okay, now we're going to feed all of you and I'm not going to worry about you. It'd be like taking all of you and telling you, I'm so sorry, I, I just, I can't hire you today. And all of you going home and not eating today. And that's what he had to And what I love about him is that he would go and weep about it. That's compassion. That's diving into and recognizing a need. One of the stories in the Bible that I love so much is the Good Samaritan. Um, If you remember it, there is a gentleman that's uh, hurt. I think he was beaten, laying on the ground, and there's three guys that come by. And the first and the second guy don't do anything. But the third guy sees it. And he turns off that natural reaction to judge. You know how we see something and we think, well, it's probably their own fault that they're in this situation. It's a natural reaction. You know why? Because we don't want to enter into what that pain is. And so we, you know, scurry it away with our own judgment of that person. But he doesn't. He looks at that person and he provides help. He immediately responds to it, and he continues to help. If you read the story, he continues it on. And I love that story. But there's another story I really want to camp in this morning. I love telling stories. I usually do up here. I think last time we talked about Esther. This morning, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one to follow the story, uh, there's some in the side. If you raise your hand, I know there's some people in here that will bring you a Bible. But we're going to camp in the story of Esther, I mean, in the story of Ruth. And it's a really short book in the Bible. It's only about four chapters, but I love the story of Ruth because it's a story about compassion. So let me just tell you a little backfill on it before we look at it um, because I can't cover all of it. So here's the story. Let me see if I can lay the groundwork. So there's Naomi. She's the mom. And then she has a husband. I I think it's Abimelech or something like that. You can look at it. It doesn't matter. He dies. It's kind of sad. Um, so she and her husband and her two sons are, there's famine in the land, so they go from Bethlehem over to Moab, and they decide to settle there, and the two boys marry two girls, and then that's kind of when the husband dies off. So Naomi is now a widow, okay? And then her two sons marry two girls from over there. They're not Israelites. They're from Moab, and those two sons actually pass away. And so now all three of them are widows. And to be a widow back in that time is very, very difficult because they're usually taken advantage of, they're usually poverty-stricken, and they usually don't have food, they don't have what they need, and they have to scrounge for what they need. And actually, we even found that later on in time, some of the Caesars would fine a woman if she wasn't remarried within two years. So it was just really, really difficult 
to uh, be a widow back then. And so now we're going to pick up here um, at the second chapter. And what happens is Naomi says to her girls, say, listen, I found out that God is starting to bless back in Bethlehem, and I'm going to head back that way because I don't know if I have any family left. They didn't have Facebook back then, so there's no connection. And I'm going to go see if anyone's still alive from my family. I'd like you to stay. You stay, find a place um, here, maybe find another husband to take care of you. This is where you're from. And the one daughter-in-law does. Thank you, I will go find a husband. The other one, Ruth, that's where the story picks up, is that Ruth says to her mother-in-law, no, I think I'm going to stay with you. Um, I'd actually like to be with you. I want to, you know, your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. So she makes this change, and she decides she would like to actually try to help Naomi. So she's actually choosing to help her mother-in-law. And so they move back, the two of them. And Naomi says to, to Ruth, why don't you go and try to glean in the fields, try to pick up whatever's left from the farmer, find a farmer that'll let you just walk behind his harvesters and pick up the grain. And so she does, and she happens to be in a field, um, and the guy's name is Boaz, okay? And this is where we're going to pick up here in the passage. If you're looking at it, it's chapter 2. And uh, Boaz comes back from a trip, and he says, um, oh, here, I'm sorry. He comes back from a trip, and he says to his harvesters, the Lord be with you. And they all yelled, the Lord bless you too. And then he says, who's that girl? You know, he points out Ruth, and he notices her, and he says, who is that woman? I'd like to meet her. And the overseer says, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. So she came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz says to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in any other field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. And what I love about that are a few things. Let me just point them out to you because they, this is what sticks out to me when I think of this story. Is that Boaz goes and there are other women that are actually gathering and he chooses her. He chooses her, he picks her out. He decides to change her story in some way. He's not going to just let her be another name and face in the crowd. So he chooses her. He says, who does that young woman belong to? And then she gets the answer. The second thing he does is he encourages her. He says, my daughter, listen to me. So he chooses her. He goes right out to her and he says to her, now listen, I have some instructions for you. I really want you to stay and to benefit from being here. So not only does he see her, he chooses her, he also feeds her. At the end there it says, and whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jugs that the men have filled. And the last thing that I love about it is that it's not that he just gave her food and said, listen, why don't you just come here and stay and just eat when we eat and then just go home. He actually, the term self-sustaining, he helps her continue to work. To, he feeds her so that she has the energy to go and get the food. And she actually, if you follow the story, and we won't read it, but she brings the food home to Naomi the leftovers, and she feeds her. So not only is Boaz helping her, but he's helping her family 
which is beautiful, and I love that. He changes the story of a young woman in poverty. But that isn't actually where it ends. And it's kind of cool because when you think about it, here's this woman that wasn't an Israelite and didn't believe in, didn't know about the Messiah, didn't believe in it at the time when she married these boys. But she starts to adopt this and she starts to hear about this Messiah that they are all waiting for. And what's really cool is that when you read in Matthew, it gives the lineage of Jesus. Well, Ruth is in there. Isn't that amazing? Ruth is the great-grandmother to King David. And then we all know that King David is the line that Jesus came from. And so here's this girl, and I go back and I think about that, and I think, oh my goodness, here is this girl that could potentially have just found another man there in Moab and would have probably married him and probably lived an okay life there and, and maybe had kids. But her whole story changes when Boaz comes on the scene and he sees her and he chooses her and he feeds her and he encourages her and then he marries her and they become the line that Jesus comes from. Such a beautiful picture. At the end of that story, if you read it, what they called someone that, that would marry a widow was a redeemer. Isn't that cool? So that he was called her redeemer. And so what a beautiful picture of Christ. I mean, it's not just Boaz. He is like a story of redemption. He is um, a prophetic story of compassion. And we, we get our story changed. We get our story changed through Jesus. I mean, it's when you think about your need. Sorry, hang on. Thanks, guys. He changes our story. He comes on the scene and changes. We are those people. We are Ruth. We are the one that need. We have this um, sin that we cannot get rid of. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, I will enter into your pain. I will have compassion on you. I will die on the cross for you. So when you look at it that way, it's such a beautiful picture. Well, once you receive that, once Jesus is part of your life, he calls you as disciples to have compassion, doesn't he? We read it all through scripture. I mean, Troy and I have been reading through, um, we're now in Proverbs, and there are so many times that he talks about having compassion on people. And it's not just compassion as in, um, oh, I feel pity for them. Compassion, again, is entering into the pain, whether it's the pain of the loss of a loved one or the pain of a loss of a job or the pain of just having disconnection with a family. It's not running away from it. It's entering into it. It's talking about it. Jesus, it says in Matthew, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Have you had those stirrings of compassion when you see people? I remember being in Haiti our first day. Um, I was with the first team that um, went down. And we stayed with Christian. You stay in their home, and it's on the street that's very busy, and the houses are really close together. And so they have a, um, a flat roof because it's so hot down there, so you can go up and sit in the breeze, and you can see quite a ways. So we went up there as a team. We were standing up there, and we noticed all these kids kind of giggling and trying to get our attention in the yard next to us. But there was a big cement wall separating us, so we could see them, and they could see us up on the roof, and we're 
waving, and they, they speak French, so I don't, I don't know what they were saying. And so they kept giggling, and they'd run up, and then they'd leave, and we started throwing whatever food we had. It was first candy, and then granola bars, and anything we could find in our bags. Um, we asked Christian Selene if we could give them to him, and she said, oh yes, they need food. And so we just started, you know, um, giving it to him. Well, then we actually um, got to meet them later on. But that night when we went to bed, um, it's really hot there, so this isn't helping me get any of you go down there, but that's okay. Um, it's hot down there, and so the windows in our room, the women's room, the little dorm there, we were all in, in bunk beds. Um, the windows were all open, and we faced those kids. And um, you could hear them crying. There's like 15 of them, and they're all little. I mean, they aren't older. And we found out there was just one woman there. And she was trying to care for all these kids, all on her own. And they didn't have a working kitchen. They didn't have a working bathroom. And so we laid there in our beds, and you could hear these kids just crying all night. I mean, it was, you know, one child and then another one. We would trip the next one, and you could just hear them crying. And we knew they were sleeping just on the cement ground no mattresses, and here's one woman trying to comfort all these kids, you know? And it would be really easy to throw my headphones in, you know, shut the windows and turn it off so I don't have to enter into the pain of those kids. And I can't load them all up and bring them here and have them live with me. I had to just sit in that pain, just enter into their reality, you know, their pain. And it haunts me. And so those kids engage something in me that I know Christ calls us to. And I can't make that happen for you. I can hopefully help you engage with compassion. And so that's my story, my experience. But I want to give you an experience. Um, my role here is to create opportunities for you guys to engage in compassion. And one of those is going to be through Compassion International. I mean, it's no surprise you walked in and saw the banners and you see the tables and there's kids on there. And I know that someone came up to me and said, what about the people here in Green Bay? Oh, I am so excited about where we're headed with meeting the needs in Green Bay. And we, I would talk with you if you want to hear more about that after the service. But I'm so engaged. I'm very excited about where we're headed as far as engaging in the needs here in Green Bay. So when you hear that I want you to see these kids, know that my heart is heavy for the people that struggle here in Green Bay. I have a heart for it. And I know many of you do too. So I didn't want to disregard that. But Sherry and I actually went on a compassion trip last year. And they wanted us to see what they did. And I wish... I could scoop you all up and take you to Ethiopia with Troy and I to see what they do. Because I'm, um, I'm protective of you. I want to make sure the organizations that we connect with are good and, and are doing um, good things with the money that you give and that we know what happens. And I loved, I fell in love with this organization. I would back them from here to eternity. They are doing fabulous things. And when you give to them, it supports a child. It connects you to a child. And you write letters back and forth. And they are, 
these kids rely on those. And so Sherry and I actually got to go, and we both picked girls to sponsor when we got there. And uh, my girl is Rose. She's three years old. I have her right here in her little school. I wish you guys could see this, her little school uniform. I picked her because she looked kind of sad and grumpy. And I thought, <laughs> we got to change that. And so when I met her, she wasn't. But this picture, so it got me. It took me. So anyway, we went down, met our girls. And it was so cool because we got to meet their families too. It's not that you are taking a child that doesn't have maybe at least a parent or a grandparent. You're just coming alongside of And what your money does. Oh, here, sorry. Hold on. Didn't mean to hit that. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Troy said, do you want me to click those for you? And I'm like, maybe you should. And maybe you should have. <laughs> um, so when we went down and met these little girls and met their families, what your money does is it helps feed the kids. It helps put a uniform on them. If they have a uniform, they get to go to school. If they don't have that uniform, they can't. Um, it connects them to a local church. And everything Compassion does is through a local church, which I love. So those pastors are loving on and sharing the hope and love of Christ with each of those children. Um, they also are cared for medically. They're checked on. They get your letters. When they get your letters, they sit down with them. They open them. They read them. I mean, individually, then they rewrite you a letter. My little girl who's four um, draws, and they take her little fingerprint and put it on there, and then she draws me these stick figure pictures, which I love because that's all I can do. So it matches my abilities there. And then she writes a letter through this interpreter, and, and then they send it to me, and you can have that connection to a child. And when you write letters, I know many of you guys are already compassion sponsors. And those kids, I want you to know, I mean, Sherry and I saw it. These kids pull these, um, like, scrapbooks or a little shoebox full of letters and, and pictures from their sponsor, and it is like gold to them. They do not, you'll see in the video here in a second, the girl pulls, it's just such a quick little scene, but it triggered for me. She pulls this little book out from under a mattress, and it's all her letters and pictures from her sponsor, and it means the world to them, because what it does is it changes their story. You can change a child's story. It's so amazing. And so I'm going to show you this video because there's a girl in there and she'll share with you how her story changed. So we'll watch this for a minute. Every day, millions of children fight for their lives. They face a dangerous enemy, one who would steal their joy, their childhood and their hope. That enemy is poverty. For a young girl like Karina, poverty doesn't just mean hunger, ill health and a lack of opportunity. It means fear and vulnerability as she is forced to fend for herself and her younger brothers and sisters while her parents struggle every day to put food on the table. They lack the most basic of needs, and without intervention, Karina's future is an all-too-familiar story. Ginselli, a dentist from the Dominican Republic, knows more than most the plight of those in need. Karina reminds me when I was her age, because I used to live in a house like that, with only one room and no bathroom inside. It's a story of daily struggles. You start just 
looking at yourself like you don't have any value. You think, I cannot change what I am. My fear was to end my life as the teenagers that I saw. I always wanted to be a dentist. When I just come to my reality, I just understand that I couldn't afford that. If we didn't have just a little bit of rice in our house, how come can I pay in university? How come can I think and study? Four years ago, Karina's life changed through the help of Compassion when someone at a church event in North Carolina chose to become her sponsor. Ginselli knows what a difference this makes. My story changed when Compassion, with my sponsor and also the team of my church, came to my life. It was really exciting for me to go to the project because I knew that a lot of friends were waiting for me. And also because my director was really lovely. She used to hug us. She used to ask her, hey, Ginselli, how are you? Through the project, I was able to go to my school with my stomach full of food. If I get sick, I have someone to take care of me. Every day we have someone who teaches a Bible story and we used to sing and sometimes the teacher just stand up and say, who can start praying? And a lot of kids were raising their hands and it means that we just believe in God. God was with us. We, as a child, we are seeds. And if someone just take us and put us in the right earth, and give us water through letters and water through the team of compassion, we start growing. And one day, we start giving fruits. My sponsor used to write it to me. I can do everything in Jesus Christ. So in the deep part of my heart, I knew that God was able to do something with my dreams. If I were able to have my sponsor in front of me, the only thing that I can just tell her is just thank you. Thank you so much for changing my life. Thank you so much for my past. And thank you so much for what I am right now. Because what I am right now is because God used her so much. If someone is considering and sponsor a child, what I can say is just do it. <laughs> Don't think about it, just do it. That's it. my little girl. I wonder what she'll grow up to be, you know?
sorry. <laughs> anyway, okay, now I really can't even see my notes here. All right. <laughs> About a week ago, um, knowing that we were going to do this this morning, uh, I got a box in the mail in the office. And I took it in my office, and I shut the door, and I cut it open, and I popped it open, and these packets of kids, like, are sitting here, looking up at me, you know? Um, and they weren't packets anymore, you know, Fedner, that's his name. And looking up at me, and I thought to myself, oh my God. Goodness, I didn't expect the reaction I had. I felt emotional about it. I thought, my goodness, there's 300 kids sitting in this box, and they are here, and they're our guests, and um, they have families, and they're hungry, <laughs> you know? And it was more than just an event, you know? We kept saying, we'll have a Compassion Sunday, but boy, it is totally different when I started looking at their faces and their names and knowing you know, and Sherry and I went to um, Uganda. One of the pictures we took, which just is haunting, is these kids standing at the window um, because they're not sponsored yet. So they can't come in because this is just not the funds. It's like Christian, you know, Christian looking at all those people having to turn them away. And, and I, Sherry snapped a picture of those kids, and they were so cute. They're so happy just to be there, to hear the teaching to be a part of what was happening. So when I opened that box, that's the first thing I thought of, were all those kids standing at the window, you know? Um, and so I'm asking you, if you would engage during our response time in compassion. Not the organization when I say that, but your heart, you know? Um, it's easy for us to just think, well, I'm not going to, I could turn this off. This will be easy. I have 10 minutes. I'll be out of here, and we'll go have lunch. But I'm asking you to just sit in it, to engage in it. So during response time, we're going to do something a little different. As you notice, there's no uh, communion elements. But I am inviting you up to look, to see kids, to see their faces, even if you don't choose to sponsor I really am okay with that. I don't think everybody's going to be moved to do this. But to come up even as a family, bring your kids up. Take a look. Pray for these kids. You know, if you want to just be a part by praying for the people that decide to sponsor, how exciting is that? I had one gal come up to me and say, we, we already sponsor, but we just want to encourage people that are. Great. That's awesome. So... I don't know how this will totally work. It's going to be kind of messy. But there's tables there and here and back there and here. And you can come up and look. They're divided by boys and girls. And Gail even tried to do it by birthday if you're looking for a certain month. Um, but they're kids that are just looking. Most of them are what they call priority, which is kids who have been waiting to be sponsored for six months or more. So they sent us all the kids that need sponsoring desperately. Um, they're all in Haiti. If you like someone from a different country, it's really easy to do that. You can just come up and talk to us after, okay? Um, but we did pick Haiti because that's where we're focusing. 
Um, let me see, what can I tell you? Can you just let me be really uh, now technical? So, because we had a little confusion at the last service. <laughs> um, it's $38 per month to sponsor a child. And, you know, I was talking to Sherry, and even kids can do that. Even kids that have a little job can sponsor a child. So if your daughter or son is sitting here, be encouraging that they think about it, even just to think about it. It's so easy to do this, even if it's not today. So we can work on that together. But think about it. Bring your families up. And uh, I actually had one more story I really want to tell you quickly. Um, and it was actually while we were asking for who sponsored, one of the gentlemen came up to me and he said, remember, I'm the one that has the dad that got a job when he retired driving bus? I think Troy might have told you about that. And um, he drove bus after he retired just so he could sponsor. He said it was in the teens of the number of kids he sponsored. So he did it just to sponsor them. And then because he wanted to get more, he started taking a trash bag and collecting cans and on the roadside, and then he'd go turn them in, and he got to sponsor another child because he collected cans. And I thought, that is so cool. You know, so if you feel that heart to go and sponsor a child, here's what I want you to do. Oh, I do want to say one more thing. For those of you sitting in overflow, I know you're there. Um, I'm inviting you to come in, to come in and be a part of what we're doing. So don't sit there. I want you to be a part of what we're doing. We didn't put any packets out there, so come on in. And for those of you that are watching live, you can go on Compassion and sponsor a child too. Okay, there we go. We got them all. Um, okay, so here's what we're going to do during while Liz leads us in some, some songs here. This is the form you're going to see. If you feel led to sponsor a child, I'm going to try to explain this the best I can. Step one, choose what you're going to do. It's $38 a month. If you want to do 45, it goes towards, I believe, HIV, AIDS, and kids that are going through abuse cases. Okay, so if you wanted to add a little bit. So first, choose what you're going to do. Second, fill out the left-hand side. It's your information. That is absolutely vital. Write nice and hard because it's two copies. The third thing, choose how you'd like to pay. Credit card, cash or check, or pay later. Those are your three options, okay? There's going to be people at the table that are going to help you work through that. Um, you can come up and take a look. Please don't take a packet if you're not going to sponsor. No guilt. You don't even have to get up. If you'd like to sit and sing and you just feel like this is my first time I've ever even seen anything like this, I just need to sit in this. I I'm okay with that, okay? This is you. I can't make you do something, I want you to respond to what the Holy Spirit's putting on your heart. Okay, so when you get up, they'll help you go through that. When you're done filling this out, this is really important, the top copy is ours. We will send this to Compassion. The bottom copy is yours. Keep it, it's your receipt. The top copy is ours. Last thing, there's an envelope. Because you're putting credit card information on here, if you do that, we want you to put all this... Copy and your money into this envelope. It's in your packet. Just pull it out. Put it in there. You'll turn it into the baskets by the door. Okay? I think I'm clear. I might come up and say it again between the songs. Let me pray for you really quick, okay? And then we'll go to response. Father Ed, I just, uh, boy, I just thank you for the opportunity you've given us as a church body to love on these kids. To love on these kids in Haiti who are um, in need of sponsorship. And I thank you that you've given us this chance to do this. Father, we want hearts, ultimately, that are just compassionate. 
God, if it's that we're blocking that or not allowing ourselves to feel it, maybe that's our first step this morning, Father, that you help us identify and engage in the need that's out there. And so, Father, I pray for our body right now, that we become more like you, that we see kids through your eyes, that we see those around us that are hurting through your eyes. And we love you so much. In your name, amen.